You're listening to Festival Grass, a podcast diving into the business and culture of the music festival world. With your hosts, Mario and Shanae. Well, welcome everybody to the newscast in this week's edition. Eric Morillo's death ruled as accidental overdose. Defected records to staff new live stream festival series with nightlife professionals. Aussie festivals are pledging to get you back partying, but there's a catch, insurance. Alice in Wonderland shares live mashup tutorial in a How to DJ for Beginners YouTube series. But first, Billy McFarland to reveal all secrets about Firefest from Prison Shanae. It's an all out expose on what went wrong. So Firefest, Billy McFarland, founder of one of the biggest fraudulent luxury music festivals in history, will be telling his side of the story of the disastrous event in an up and coming podcast. Guess what the title is, Shanae? What? Dumpster Fire. And fire is spelled like the festival, F-Y-R-E. Now, the entire podcast was recorded behind bars at Elkton Federal Correction Facility in Ohio. It's hosted by Jordan Harbinger, and the podcast consists of telephone interviews. And he's quoted as saying, I'm not going to hide behind my mistakes. I'm going to share everything that happened. When I think about the mistakes that were made and what happened, there's no way I can describe it. But what the bleep was I thinking? <laughs> According to sources, the podcast trailer, McFarlane will be disclosing every secret he's ever kept about the festival beyond being ordered to pay $26 million in restitution. This is an example of delusional business incompetency, okay, becoming a spectacular car crash. And it serves as a foundation to listening to this podcast. Like, are you interested in what this guy would actually have to say? Like, would it be instructional or maybe even formational? Or would it just be a reality TV via podcast, like a mudslinging match or a PR stunt, like designed for, you know, voyeuristic attraction? What do you think? Uh, honestly, my first thought, again, is this podcast is probably a big money grab, just like Fire Festival was. But I mean, I'm leaning on the mudslinging reality TV podcast scenario. As somebody who wants to go into festival organizing and somebody who lives in the festival world and the hype around Firefest and knowing how horribly it went, I would want to hear it at least once just to see if it is at all informative because you can always learn from somebody's mistakes. Yeah, sounds like he wants to be very honest and forthcoming with his mistakes. And that could definitely, I think, serve as a teaching moment for other people. All right, here he goes. Kicked off by Jordan Harbinger here. Welcome to the Dumpster Fire podcast. This is a test trailer featuring exclusive audio from the island. Stay tuned for the full trailer, which will feature some of the top influencers and models on the planet. It's going to be lit. If you like to rough it and, and want to come out to a place where you don't actually have um, a bed or anything, you know, I mean, you might get one eventually. They're still carrying, carrying um, beds and stuff into tents. I mean, they're still basically setting it up. These are disaster relief tents. That's where you're supposed to stay. I talked to a girl who, took an, who had taken a shower and she said that uh, the water was yellow. So uh, there's that. And most people got their luggage just now. And that was off the back of the shipping container that was just being dropped. Sounds like some people are mad over here. So I'm gonna... Yeah, this is kind of uh, kind of terrifying. Yeah, this, this is exactly what, what what I thought I would experience 
when I watched the video. Sinead, that audio that's in that trailer is exclusive audio, apparently, from the live Periscope that was being broadcasted by William Needham Finley IV, who is a socialite and author and creator of the ITB Insider. And I'm imagining that there's a bunch more of those um, location clips from when people arrived and just the complete and utter disorganization that they were met with. And then, of course, that in compilation with the interviews, which uh, which I think there's going to be a teaser released about them. But at any rate, guys, the show notes is going to include a link to this podcast if you want to hear the conversation. But of course, Barry McFarlane here, just as a little backstory, CEO of Fire Media, and he joined in with Ja Rule. The intention was to create this Fire app. We mentioned it in a story we covered about them having to give money back. One of the most interesting things was, is if you watch the video, which is their teaser video, this is the one that got people to buy tickets, right? And the opening scene is in this place called Saddleback Cay, and it's one of 365 such islands in the Bahamas chains known as the Exumas. And it was protected uh, by seven beaches, private island, and they were going to build cabanas, like a little private paradise. And they shot this amazing video. It was one of the best looking things I'd ever seen. And I remember at the time, I thought, I want to go. I really want to go. But I had this feeling, Shay, that this it was like a too good to be true sort of thing, you know? Like, why make it so exclusive? It wasn't really the kind of festival that attracted me necessarily. It was a little too pompous, maybe, or a little too pretentious. And this is a good example of people trying to run festivals with the wrong intentions in mind and completely destroying the outcome, much to the dysfunction and chagrin to everybody involved, right? Because it was a lot of pain and harm and loss of income for people who showed up there and had nothing to, to show for it. So one of the things that killed them was in this video when they launched it, they advertised that this island was previously owned by Pablo Escobar, but they'd been asked not to say anything like that. And so the owners of the island that they were renting it from tore up the agreement and McFarland had to go find another one of these islands to have this festival on. And that really disrupted his whole path of trying to make this all work. Sinead, they even hired this guy. I, I looked him up, Yaron Lavi, veteran event producer, and they consulted him as they were trying to build this festival, which is something that would be smart to do if you've never done it before. And he told them that it was impossible to hold what they had in mind in this little time. He told them to postpone to November. So this was supposed to happen beginning of April 2017. He told them to postpone it till the end of the year. And then that they needed to get rid of the plans for these $10 million temporary villas that they were going to build and erect tents instead. And I mean, there's just so many other pieces of evidence here. Look, Mr. McFarlane was all in. He wanted this festival to happen. He got into a manic tailspin. It turned into complete insanity. And then he even started taking on tasks himself in order to help keep the dream alive. So insofar as even going to Google to type in how to rent a music festival stage. Instead of, you know, talking to the event producer that they hired. Exactly. Well, the guy was giving them information that wasn't jiving with their event schedule. Come on. <laughs> Why don't we just do it all ourselves, Shanae? Forget the experts. All right. Defected Records is staffing a new live stream festival series with nightlife professionals displaced by the pandemic. Standing in solidarity with the global events industry during COVID, Defected Records is launching a series featuring top EDM talent called We Dance as One. These live stream festivals have DJs playing from their favorite local nightclub, which is currently empty and dormant due to ongoing event restrictions. By starting this series, 
they've provided work opportunities to many in the industry that have been affected by the collapse of entertainment and live events. A quote from Defected Records states, we will use the live streams themselves as promotion for the individuals to advertise their skills and to give them some well-deserved recognition. They have monthly dates set for the series starting October 30th. You should check it out. I think I will. I must say, I really love this idea because what a great way to use the beautiful indoor venues of these clubs as in effect stages. I mean, so far we've heard all about virtual landscapes, green screens, uh, video games, you know, festivals and all their virtual permutations. But finally, we get to see the club, like a Broadway theater stage sort of thing. I, I mean, I love it. I love it. I, I think um, supporting artists, supporting dancers, using this as a promotional vehicle for them as opposed to themselves in the club. I think this is fantastic. I think it has the potential to be extremely entertaining and very beautiful and quite unique in terms of other things that we've seen. I really can't wait. And honestly, you know, Defected Records, one of the longest running independent labels of its kind, it's really paved the way for house music in the UK. And look at it. Look at it. Still kicking 20 years later. I really think that they are giving great opportunity because you can now not only just have a DJ performing, but you could have stage designers and for visual aspects and you could have dancers or fire performers or LED performers. And it just amps up that virtual production and that live stream experience that people are used to. I love that they thought of it and I, I do look forward to it. October 30th, here we come. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our Music Festival newscast and subscribe to our Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. All right. Eric Murillo's death ruled as an accidental overdose. The Colombian-American producer was found dead in his apartment. Of course, we've covered this topic since August when the sexual harassment suits came out against him. His death sparked multiple opinions inside the industry. They were discussing whether his legacy was bigger than what he was blamed for. And in the end, both his crimes and the legacy will forever be remembered inside the industry for both as a revelation of what people can be or become and what music is capable of. Now, just in terms of the toxology report obtained by Miami's newspaper, the Miami New Times, informed that Eric Marillo's death was of acute ketamine toxicity. It also lists MDMA and cocaine use as a contributing cause of death. And then the official report is going to be in a, in a couple of weeks, but it does seem like it could potentially have been an accident. Now, there is a piece of the article here by Sebastian Flores Chong via EDM Tunes. He makes a statement that I want you to comment on. We must collaborate if we want to have a community we deserve, safe for everyone. It doesn't matter what your gender, race, or sexuality might be. Plur is for everyone. That's peace, love, unity, and respect. Uh, Marilla's death certainly left a void in all of us. However, his actions cannot be forgotten. Neither can the actions of many who came before him. Let his passing be a memory of the fact that we can do better. We must do better. Yeah, we definitely need to do better. I think that the whole case around Eric Marillo and you know the sexual assault allegations and his death are very tricky because one... It seems so coincidental and so suspicious that he happened to die right after he turns himself in. So unfortunately, the victims don't get that closure that they would have gotten potentially through trial that they now people see Eric Murillo as a victim because, oh, no, he overdosed and he died, which is very tragic. And, you know, I obviously don't wish that for anybody, but it kind of diminishes what was actually happening around that time. And people immediately seek out comfort and 
because to them, like a, a legacy died. And so they, you kind of like lose the comfort that the them needs, but yeah, it's a very suspicious coincidental situation. It is. I have a feeling maybe more information will come out, but look, it could very well be, you know, him trying to drown his sorrows in shock and uh, and maybe pushed it too far. Clearly, he enjoyed recreational drugs and and maybe maybe he was feeling really horrible about himself. And, and this was uh, something that was hopefully trying to make him feel better about about his life. But but it may have pushed him over the edge and killed him. Very true. And I think then in that sense that this should be an eye opener to everybody and remind people like harm reduction is so key and like this should be taught and this should be ingrained into people in the community. Because, yeah, when you're if you're a recreational drug user and you know that these things make you feel good and you're going through a time where you feel like shit, if it's your fault or not, and you lean towards yeah. drugs, this yeah. could happen. Um, yeah. So I think I mean, that- we know we, yeah, we know well that people do this in terms of alcohol. That's, that's a very popular one to turn towards if, if things are not going well in your life and that can cause unintended consequences of its own. But certainly these recreational drugs, yeah, especially if you're somebody who's accustomed to using them and have been using them. I mean, look, he was 49 years old, so he'd made it this far. And so for him to to have a, a bad go at it in terms of an overdose, I mean, he was probably a veteran at, at using these drugs. So other things must have been involved here. And you're, you're right about the victims and the survivors in this situation not able to get closure. I wonder what kind of, I think this is an in-depth topic. I think we're going to cover it in one of our deep dives coming up uh, soon in the new year. So everyone stay tuned for that. And, um, you know, we'll definitely go into it a lot more. Would you like to be on the show? If you or someone you know is a journalist with a relevant article topic or can speak to a story we have covered, please click or forward the guest sign up link in the show notes. We'd love to have you on. Don't be shy. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Alice in Wonderland shares live mashup tutorial in How to DJ for Beginners on a YouTube series. This DJ has spent her COVID days providing her audience with DJ tutorial videos, giving her audience the tools to start a new hobby, get creative, and stay safe during the inevitable lockdowns that COVID has brought on around the world. If you want to learn how to DJ, Mario, I'd say support Allison and watch her videos. Who knows, maybe you can host your own squad's virtual festival this winter. Oh my God! Could you imagine? Well, I uh, you'd you'd be the first invite. Um, I'll have you on live, so you I can see you just pumping your arms in the background. Uh, I I I think this is great. I honestly would love to learn how to DJ. I've had dreams of it just spinning in my head, but uh, but then I realized how much time investment is involved, and and I and it's I've shied away from it. However, however, you know she's fantastic. I I heard about her when I was living in Australia back in the late nineties after my parents moved there. And I've watched this video. It's a kind of like a question session. And in the first one, guy says, how do you do a mashup? And then she basically <laughs> cuts the video, goes and creates an acapella to then create a mashup with. And she does that. She makes it look so easy. I was so impressed. This is her acapella that she recorded. Hey, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. It's really cool. It's cool as fuck. Yeah. Here's my acapella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo! How do I perform mashups live on stage? That's a great question. Um, what? Oh, sorry. That's a great question, Travis. 
<laughs> okay, so the way she explains that, just for everyone there, because I know that you're not watching the, the, the video here, but she takes a voice memo, she calls it. She puts it in Ableton. Then she uses a software called Nectar 2 and then adds an auto-tune on top of that. And that's her voice. So she basically said that as like just recording her voice, threw it into those softwares, and then eventually added all that music on top of it. And the reason she says it's a good idea is because it's all royalty-free and then you don't have to deal with your music being stopped online by using other people's voices and stuff like that. So um, fun fact, fun fact, Shanae, do you know that uh, she grew up in Sydney and she was trained as a classical musician? I actually did know that. Yes, and she specialized in the cello. I love string instruments, especially within EDM subgenres. I love hearing like a cello or a violin. It just sets me up for the best song ever. I love it. Yeah. And so coming from a classically trained musician background, she then ended up going to this club called Candy's Apartment, which is in Sydney. And uh, she heard she heard a track. She went up to the DJ and she needed to know what the track was. And then that's what kicked off her her passion to discover house music and, and to build her, her own, basically. And uh, I just want to share one more thing about Alexandra here, because she's gone through her own battles with mental health. And the reason I bring this up is because I think it's important sometimes to understand that we see people in positions of success and we sometimes think, that they're untouchable, that they don't have any problems, that their life is completely made, that they just came out of thin air and they're just beautiful gods and that's that. And it's not true. I mean, everyone's a human being. Everyone's struggled. And now if you want to go and follow her and she's going to teach you how to DJ, I think it might be interesting to know that it wasn't easy for her either. And yet here she is helping you through potentially tough times because we all know that Unfortunately, COVID has really hurt people's mental health and they're trying to find ways around it. And maybe a relationship with music might be a great way to go. So I'm really happy that she's doing this. But in 2018, she revealed that she had been battling depression and suicidal thoughts caused by an abusive relationship and that she had completely lost her appetite for food and social interaction with others and even had attempted suicide at one point. Writing the lyrics for her 2012 album, Awake, she said was therapeutic. And then she even went so far as in 2019, which is only a year ago, to cancel multiple shows in Europe so she could focus on her mental health after consulting her managers and personal doctors and receiving overwhelming support from both numerous fellow DJs, EDM artists and fans alike. It's really inspiring that she was able to take something that was very difficult for her through her life and transform it into something to help other people. Absolutely. Alexander Scholler, a.k.a. Alice in Wonderland. Rock star. All right. And finally, Aussie festivals are pledging to get you back partying, but there's a catch, and that is insurance. Now, Sinead, we are talking a lot about festivals and running festivals and how hard they're going to be hit. We have up and coming deep dives into the industry and how it's been shattered by COVID. One of the particular areas of fright for festivals, especially going into the new festival season, is insurance. Now, in Australia, unlike us, they're going into the summer months. So they're in spring now because they're in the southern hemisphere. So a lot of their most popular festivals are up and coming. And I think for us, it's going to give us an ability in the northern hemisphere to see what's happening 
and use it as a, as a way to understand what the landscape could be like for festivals here in the Northern Hemisphere in the coming year, because I don't think it'll be any different. So one of the ones we're talking about here is Blues Fest. It's one of the major Australian music festivals. And its director, Peter Noble, said about going into the season, it's a huge risk. This festival's in March, and of course, that, that in March is when everything sort of had to shut down. And by that time, when they canceled, they had pumped $10 million already into marketing, artist deposits, flights, accommodations, suppliers, and had sold tickets to 30,000 fans. Now, the one amazing thing that they had done, considering insurance, was that when five years ago they bought their policy, they had paid a higher premium for ticking a checkbox that said, communicable diseases. Now, the reason they did that is because at that time, there was an outbreak of gastro in the Byron Bay area. And the medical officers were advising that the festival did get insurance to cover that just in case anyone at the festival got any infections, gastrointestinal infections. And so Mr. Noble says, as it turns out, it was a a godsend for us. But some other festivals were not as lucky There is a very popular youth festival, Grooving the Moo, which has one of the best names I've ever heard for a festival. And I really want to go to it. If you remember, we did mention them as well because they were the first festivals, one of the first festivals to have or will have a permanent pill testing site near where it is every year, which is in the Canberra region of the Victoria state of Australia. And when they had to cancel their festival six weeks just before it was about to go, General Manager Catherine, uh, Catherine Holloway said that it was a huge financial and emotional loss. She said that in terms of finances, there were all the costs that you couldn't recoup. Deposits to suppliers, deposits to artists, payment to insurance, all of those kinds of things. What do you think is going to happen with insurance post-COVID? Um, I think that organizers, first of all, are going to ask more questions with their insurance and make sure things like communicable diseases or things that are out of their control are covered. Because typically force majeure, which technically means an act of God, but it just means something that's very out of your control. So if there's a hurricane or a bombing or something like that, that prevents your event from going on, that would be covered in most insurance. So you would think that something like COVID would also be covered, but you have a lot of insurance companies that are fighting back and saying, well, no, this isn't, this isn't covered. Could you imagine as an insurance company having hundreds of festivals that you deal with all needing millions of dollars in recovery right now is not the best for the insurance company themselves uh, because obviously they make money on people purchasing insurance and not needing a payout for it. Yeah. And what we're going to see is insurance companies protecting themselves because one insurance company in particular, Lloyd's in Australia, projects that the global insurance market will spend around 100 US billion dollars on COVID-19 payouts. And that sounds like a lot because when you consider insurance companies, they are businesses, they need to run on a profit. And one of the things that um, that you'll find a lot of promoters probably having to do when they're planning for events in 2021 is that they're going to have to find ways around the insurance companies not supporting them with what they're calling communicable diseases, which were 
allowed to be a checkable box on the insurance premium form, but now they're not going to be at all. So both Blues Fest and Grooving the Moo are hoping to hold their festivals in April 2021 coming up next year. But some promoters are trying to literally change their business models to put down the least amount of money possible before the event goes ahead as a strategy to mitigate the risk. And You know, it seems like smaller festivals, smaller events are going to be able to do this. But I can't imagine large festivals being able to get away with this. It's just so much more infrastructure to deal with and so much more preparedness and so many other moving parts. So Grooving the Moose, Miss Holloway is really going after the government of Australia saying that there should be an insurance bailout, that there's got to be a bigger picture solution to bring back confidence to a wounded industry. What do you think about government bailouts in this sense? And do you think one could come for Canada and maybe other places in North America. I think that that would actually be very important because if they don't want to do that or they refuse to do that, the situation would look like festival organizers don't want to pay their DJs, their AV company, their environmental company. So like bathrooms, porta potties, fencing, things like that. They don't want to pay anything up front in case they have to cancel. You're breaking the trust and the relationships that you've formed with the companies that provide all of the essentials to run your festival. So if nobody has that trust and everyone's teetering on the edge of, well, if we get canceled, we won't make the money, we won't be able to pay our staff, et cetera, et cetera. It's not just the festival. It's now all of the vendors, like all of the suppliers, all of the people involved that help that festival run. So I think a government bailout would be key because then insurance companies can feel comfortable leaving certain things in their policy or updating their policy to help festivals, but then the government can help the industry as a whole. Yeah, perfectly said. Look, we've already said it many times on this show that festivals are more than just a party. They're also about supporting employment And data from the Australian Festival Association shows music festivals pulled in 2.7 billion into the economy every year pre-COVID and created almost 10,000 jobs. And that's very relevant to us up here in Canada and anywhere around the world. Festivals employ people. It stretches through the fabric of society and they need to be supported by the government, in my opinion. Agreed. Miss Halliday finishes off by a quote. She says, it feels to date that neither the state or federal governments have paid as much attention to support the entertainment industry as they have for the sport or film industry. Yeah, I think government officials don't see the need in the entertainment industry in terms of live music events specifically. And it's just with all of the prejudice that they have towards different music genres. Because if they said, oh, let's support The theater, I'm sure that the government would be on board to support the theater industry and help them thrive during this time or survive during this time. But when it comes to concerts and music, for some reason, it always gets slim pickings, back of the van kind of thing. I think maybe this is part of our role to play is that we need to be part of the lobby group that promotes festivals in their best light and shows the back end of them, which is that they are employment-based. They stretch throughout the fabric of society. They are good for people's mental health. They're very art-driven and music is a wonderful thing to enjoy live. And I know that these are the worst times for this type of event to happen, but we need to make sure that in the future that we have an industry that can come back because we can't just let it die by the roadside like roadkill. I mean, come on, people. Let's do this thing. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us on another week's Festival Grasp. 
Make sure to subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or via your chosen podcast collector, so you'll never miss us talking into your ears again. And while you're at it, if you find value in what we are discussing, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's like telling a friend about it, but better. And it gives us a chance in that big old world out there. I know we're just getting to know each other, but come on, show us some love. We're here for you. You're here for us. So let's do this thing. To sign up as an expert guest on the show, to leave us a question or message, or to jar tip your support, follow the appropriate links in the show notes. Be sure to keep tuning in weekly for our Music Festival newscast and subscribe to Deep Dives, our bi-monthly in-depth topical discussion show with interviews and guests that will bring you insight and knowledge. Link in the show notes. This podcast edited by GBA Recordings. For me, Mario. And Shanae. See you next time. Bye.